you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the 12th Psalm, Psalm 12. The title of the message this morning is, Hear Our Cry, O Lord. Before we read the text, would you pray with me? Father, as we turn our hearts now to your word, we come wanting and desiring to submit our lives to the truth of your word. And so we pray, Holy Father, that you would speak to us. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would magnify your name and your presence and the truth of your word in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would equip us with an understanding of how to apply your word and how to live it out faithfully in the midst of the community and the vocation, the school, the campus, the the neighborhoods that you've placed us in. And Lord, we pray this morning, I pray this morning for your anointing on my lips and on our ears. And I ask, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would truly be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I had prepared this week to preach, uh, this morning to preach from Psalm 26, but I'm sure like many of you, the heaviness of this week's events uh, has been difficult and even heavy to process. Yesterday afternoon, I sensed the Lord nudging me to, um, to postpone preaching from Psalm 26 and to preach from a different psalm, and so as I read through the Psalms, uh, I landed on Psalm 12, and so this morning we'll turn our attention to Psalm 12. Psalm 12 deals with an age-old problem facing the church, and in any age, in any age of church history, you can find difficulties of the church struggling and wrestling with being in the world, but not being of the world. Jesus himself prayed for the disciples in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. John 17, 14, he prayed, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. My prayer for us this morning is that Psalm 12 will meet us as a congregation in the midst of brokenness over the events of this past week. And my prayer is that it will equip us and encourage us as a local body to take the truth of God's Word into our vocations, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, and and, and onto our campuses. What we've witnessed this week, the tragedy and the wickedness and the evil that's rampant in our world it calls for a vocal and an active response from the church. And ultimately, Christians must turn to the truth of God's Word so that we might readily give an answer to the plight of our society and to tragic days such as the ones that have preceded this one. But even in the midst of what has happened this week, this psalm reaches deeper than the tragic loss of life 
It reaches deeper than the murders that we've seen spread across the media this week. This psalm really speaks to the fabric of the brokenness of humanity. It speaks to the rampant wickedness of our culture. It speaks to a culture that rejects God and claims to be its own authority. It speaks to a culture that celebrates and honors that which is shameful and that which is worthless. The only sustainable answer to such a fundamentally flawed worldview is the deliverance of God through Jesus Christ. And it's the church's mission to spread the gospel of peace. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 6.15 that believers are to put on our feet the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so I want to read Psalm 12, invite you to follow along as I read, hear the words of David pinned to the Lord. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? In verse 5, the Lord answers, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This morning I want us to see that God's answer to David is the same answer to the church today. God's answer to the corruption of society is the church living out the hope of salvation for deliverance through Jesus Christ. The church must display the hope of salvation through Christ in our words and in our deeds. This happens as we pray to God and, 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 and learn His Word and pray His Word back to Him. It, it happens as we trust in God for our deliverance. And it happens as we faithfully serve God by standing on the truth of His Word and boldly proclaiming it. And so this morning, I, I want us to see what I think David is first saying. that The corruption of society increases as the public witness of the church decreases. David's prayer is one that I found myself uttering this week. Perhaps you did as well. Help, O Lord. Deliver, O Lord. Save, O Lord. Even come, Lord Jesus, right? Notice what he says in verse 1. The godly one is gone. In other words, the godly one has ceased. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. 
In other words, David looks around, he surveys the situation, and as he does, he sees that he's living in a land where faithfulness and godliness have vanished from the public square. There's no one who's standing on the truth of God's word. There's no one who's standing up and declaring God's truth and boldly speaking it. There's no one who's taking up for the underprivileged. There's no one who's taking up for those who are poor and needy, for, the, for the, those who are on the fringe of society. There's no one standing up for them. The people left standing and leading are, in fact, the opposite. They are the ones of corrupt character. They care nothing about the truth, only about satisfying their own agendas. They are dishonest and they are unjust and they seek their own gain. I'm still talking about David's context here in verse 1. I want us to notice that what David is saying implicitly is that because God's people are not standing on the truth of God's word, those who are corrupt have taken over. Because they have forsaken the responsibility of proclaiming the truth of God's word and living faithfully according to God's word and according to God's law, those who are corrupt have taken over. And what we see in verse 2 is that corruption breeds deception. In verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. These liars literally speak emptiness. They're full of smooth talk. That's what flattering lips means. They speak with a double heart. In other words, they have double intentions. They say one thing to make someone believe this, but really in their heart, they want something else. Without regard for the truth, they speak flattery so that they might advance their own agendas. Truth is nowhere to be found in the words of men, David says. Where are the godly ones who will stand for truth against lies? Where are those who will stand for justice in the face of injustice? I want us to know, church, that God has not called the church to sit idly by. God's not called His people to sit idly by in the shadows. Instead, God has called His people, the church, to stand and to engage in the world. That's why Jesus prayed what He prayed in John 17, 14. He didn't call the church to disengage and become reclusive. Instead, church, we're to actively share the hope of Christ with the lost world around us. I think today in our culture, oftentimes, and in in the culture even of the vocation in which we work, we we kind of get marginalized and we feel like we can't speak out boldly. We, We feel like maybe we can't be as bold with the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, or or maybe what God has done in our lives. And I want to challenge us in that. I want to challenge us to intentionally look. Look for ways to be faithful to share the hope of the gospel with those whom God has placed us in the context, or placed in our context, the the sphere of influence that God has given, given us. So believer, are you... Are you faithfully giving testimony to what God is doing in your life? Are you faithfully sharing the hope of the gospel and telling others about what Christ has done in your life? Do people in your vocation know you to be truthful 
godly, faithful. When people look at our lives, what's the first thought that comes to their mind? Corruption breeds deception, but corruption also breeds arrogance. We see this in verse 4. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Hear the, the arrogant assertion of the wicked. They say we own our own lips. We're our own master. They would say whatever they wanted. There was no accountability for the corrupt. And when David saw this, he was blown away. One commentator says, when such arrogance is joined with deception, there's no limit to the destruction that can follow. But you know, this wasn't only the case in David's day. I said this was an age-old problem for the church. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10, the people of Israel say, the people of Israel, they say to their seers, do not see in the prophets, and they say to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. In Jeremiah 5, 1 and 2, the Lord told Jeremiah, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Does this not describe our current society? Even the state of the church? Romans 1, 18 through 23, Paul offers a really a parallel commentary on the arrogance of, I think, our culture. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, but because, uh, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts, they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We could continue reading, couldn't we? When Jesus confronted the religious leaders of the day, those who were to be leading God's people, not deceiving God's people, he says to them in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, 
you do not believe me. What we see Jesus affirming and Paul affirming and David affirming is that when the godly are silent, the corrupt increase, the arrogant increase, the wicked increase. And what David is calling God to, he's asking God to raise up godly men, godly women who would live faithfully in the midst of the society, in the midst of the culture. And this is our challenge as well, church, that we would have an answer to the, to the issues and the struggles, that we would have an answer from Scripture to the tragedy when it comes to difficult days when they come, that we would be able to look to God's Word, that we would come to God in prayer, crying out to God, saying, Save us, O God. Deliver, O God. Come, Lord Jesus. I would actively be looking for ways that God would use us to minister in the lives of others, of brothers and sisters of the church and minister in view of the world. But thirdly, we see that corruption spreads Degrading values. We see this in verse 8. He says, On every side the wicked prowl, and as, viol- as vileness is exalted among the children of man. The wicked surrounded the righteous, and their corruption was all-encompassing. He says that which is vile, meaning that which is worthless, and that which is shameful, is actually honored in the land. We could say the same thing today in our culture, couldn't we? We see it on bumper stickers with devaluing human life. We read things like, don't like abortion, don't have one. We see it in the checkout lines at the grocery store in the form of magazines that are displayed prominently with women wearing almost nothing. We read of scandals and we, see, we even read on social media from suggestive posts on Facebook to Twitter feeds with incendiary comments. Corruption spreads degrading values. But it is God who has an answer to the corruption in society through the church, through raising up His people to speak boldly, to to speak the truth of the gospel boldly. And in response to the pervasive corruption, David prays in verse 3. He says, cut off all the flattering lips. Destroy the deceptive speech of the arrogant liars. Show them that they are not, in fact, their own masters. Put to death the destructive, or put to shame the destructive seeds sown by the deceivers. His prayer is that God would do this by His power. But implicitly, his prayer is that part of what would happen is that God would raise up godly people, that he would raise up faithful men who seem to have vanished, faithful women who seem to have vanished from the public square. See, the issue David confronts through prayer, which then leads to action, is the injustice in the land and the honoring of vileness among the children of man. Verse 8, the question that I want to ask us this morning, is: what are the issues of our day? What are the issues of our day for which we cry out to God, save, O Lord? When we witness events like we have this past week, I think we must take note of how they shine a spotlight on the tensions that are, that are present. 
the tension that African Americans live with on a daily basis. I think we must look at the tension and seek to understand how our brothers and sisters in the faith have been treated unjustly. I think we must look at tensions that are there and we must seek to approach it from a biblical world view. The church must seek to unify with brothers and sisters who are different ethnically than they are. We grieve with the families of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. We grieve with the families of the police officers who were shot as well. The church must stand in the unity of the gospel, displaying the new creation in Christ that God has made us to be. Because the church, listen, the church is to be and is the multi-ethnic people brought together by the power of the cross. Because Christ destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between the races. So that now we are one people. We're God's people. We're Christ's redeemed people. And the church and our mission is to proclaim and to live out the gospel of peace. Because the gospel is the healing balm for a corrupt society. And God wants to use His church, His people, in the midst of a society and a culture to proclaim the gospel of peace. When the church fails to live out its witness in the public arena, corruption increases. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes hearts and transforms character and behavior only. The gospel of Jesus Christ can do this. God responds to his people's prayer for deliverance. We see this in, chapter, in, verse, uh, in verse 1 through the prayer that Paul utters, the, the short prayer, save, O Lord, save, O Lord. One writer, W.S. Plummer, says, the strength of the church consists not in the number of her visible members, but in the almightiest of her head. And in one sense, this is what David is saying. In one sense, he's saying, I have such confidence in God. I'm trusting in God that God is almighty, that he's powerful, and that he can do this work of deliverance. And so as David prays in verse 1 for deliverance, and in verse 5, the Lord answers his prayer. He says, I will now arise. Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan, I will now arise. The Lord looks down upon his people and he hears the prayers of his people. And David has this confidence that God is going to answer. We see that God answers the prayers of his people. We can look at several other places in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, in fact, to see that God is faithful to answer the prayers of his people. When his people cry out for deliverance, he hears our prayer and he he will deliver us. The Lord also promises protection. He says there at the second part of verse 5, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And in verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. He means from the generation of the wicked. The generation of the wicked spans time. And what David is saying is he has confidence that God will guard his life. He will guard his people from the generations of the wicked. 
This is the promise of Christ in Matthew 11 that Drew read earlier, isn't it? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus promises the believer that in the midst of life's weariness, tragedy and all, we can find rest in him. And when tragedy strikes, when injustice is prolific, when vileness is exalted in the land, the believer has a place of security and rest in Christ. Not not so that we might be reclusive and draw back from the world, but so that we might engage the world, so that we might be in the world and not of the world. We become yoked together with Christ. And because we are yoked together with Christ, we are now harnessed with the power of Christ. And we are walking together with Christ. That's the picture of that verse in Matthew 11. His burden is easy. It's light. So the believer can trust. The believer can trust in the truth of God's word rather than the lives of men. Here's the contrast that David's setting up in this psalm. You have the lies of men spoken, which are deceiving, which are arrogant, which are lies to distort and to corrupt. But in verse 6, in verse 6, look at what he says about God's word. The words of the Lord are pure words. In fact, he says seven times refined, highlighting the perfection of God's word. God's word has stood the crucible of time against many attacks. The believer can stand confident then in the truth of God's word. And the church can stand confident in the truth of God's word. The church must hold up, in fact, God's word as the banner. If you travel to the, to the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, England, you can stand over the prime meridian with one foot in the eastern hemisphere and the other foot in the western hemisphere. You won't realize, you wouldn't realize it when you got there unless you saw the, this line in the pavement. It's a bold line cut across the pavement. Prior to the, uh, the International Meridian Conference of 1884, each local region kept their own time. But since the conference of 1884, this uh, prime meridian line has helped to develop international trade and, and global trade and commerce. It makes it possible. Without the prime meridian, this global trade would be impossible. So while the meridian is humanly uh, derived, it's because of its relation to the stars that we're able to find our place on the map in the world. John Flamsteed made it his life's mission to produce a proper navigational chart of the heavens, mapping the location of thousands of stars. And it was Flamsteed's work that enabled scientists to help people find their position on the planet, allowing them to answer the fundamental question of philosophy and physics. Where am I? The prime meridian is a fixed position by which our knowledge of time and place can be understood. 
The Bible's like that for us. It's the truth of God's Word, eternally fixed. It doesn't move. It's perfectly pure. And it's given by God Himself, by which we can understand who we are and where we are and where we must go from here. Throughout the history of the church, many have tried unsuccessfully to disprove and even to extinguish God's Word. But it's timeless and it speaks to the heart of man. It diagnoses the human condition and it's powerful to transform man from the inside out. And so, brothers and sisters, the answer to the corruption of society is the transforming power of the hope of the gospel. The answer to the tragedies of life that are, f- are found in the hope of the gospel, which is the salvation through Jesus Christ that God gives. Nothing in life is amoral. And what man and the enemy intend for evil, God can use for good. And so as believers entrusted with the perfect timeless truth of God's word, the question is, what will we do with it? Will we be men and women who stand and boldly speak the truth of God's word? Will we be men and women who aren't fearful to stand in the public square, in our vocations, in our neighborhoods, on our campuses? Or will we be like the ones whom David lamented over? Where are the godly ones? Where are the faithful ones? They've all vanished. So how are we to respond to God's word this morning? I think we're to walk by faith. Standing on the truth and the promise of God's word. I think we're to live for Christ in the public square. Being faithful to proclaim the truth of God's word. And I think we are to be careful to know God's word so that we might be able to speak it boldly. Perhaps there's a way that God has challenged you this morning, challenged your heart to carry out and to live out God's word. Maybe there's something that the Lord has challenged you specifically to in the midst of this past week's events, a way that you yourself are to go out and to uh, engage and to support and to work for the healing, uh, to work for Uh, restoring justice or bringing justice in the midst of difficult circumstances and situations. I want to challenge you this morning to spend time considering your heart before the Lord and asking the Lord how He desires to use you and what are the ways that you need to surrender to Him so that He might use you faithfully in engaging the world, engaging in your vocation, engaging the people in your sphere of influence for the name and the glory of Christ. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the hope and the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer and that we can stand confidently knowing that you hear our prayer. We thank you, Father, that your word is truth. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would strengthen us as your people to stand upon the truth of your word. We pray, Father, for the church in Baton Rouge, 
for the church here at Cross Point that meets on this campus, this local body, that you would use us to spread the love and unity and hope of the gospel among our brothers and sisters in this city. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us in ways that would, uh, that would challenge us and at the same time would reveal to us how we are to walk faithfully in your will. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us through the truth of your word how we are to daily carry out your good, pleasing, and perfect will. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?